Welcome, one and all, to episode 329 of Signals from Mars. This is the much-anticipated and talked-about 1984 episode with my patrons. If you've ever been on the fence about joining us, this episode is the perfect example as to why you should lend your voice and your vote to the show. I'm ready. Let's do it! Okay, so as I mentioned in the intro to the episode, this episode is made up of several patrons. It was at capacity, almost. We could take on about 10 people at the same time, and I believe we were, I think we got to 10, and Steve Holker actually bounced out because the audio wasn't working well on his end, which sucks because Steve is always awesome on the shows that he's a part of. So as I mentioned, um, I value my patrons. I value everyone that listens to this show. Uh, Obviously, the patrons help keep the lights on, quote unquote, help keep me, you know, help provide me with the ability to stream to you guys on a weekly basis. Uh, They help pay for album of the week vinyls and different things that that I do through Patreon and things that are going to be coming up on Patreon where we're going to be shifting a few things. And I'm always changing things on there. I'm always changing things with all the different shows. I, I believe in in transitioning and changing and evolving and trying to make things better. And although something may seem cool to me, one point in time may not work, <laughs> you know, somewhere down the road. So anyway, 1984, so many people talk about 83, 86, 84 may have been even harder for me to choose my top 10. There's so much good music that came out in 1984 and it goes beyond some of the albums that a lot of us know about. And look, there were 45 albums, I believe, voted on. But the top 10, top 12, somewhere in that vicinity, maybe 13 were albums that were voted on quite a bit. So that goes to show you the quality of music that came out that year. And I think for the first time, there's people that maybe have gripes with what albums appear where. But at the same time, I think we started learning a few months back when we started doing these episodes that, hey, there's an album at 20 because the 19 ahead of them are fucking monsters. They're huge albums. They're great albums. And I don't want to give too much away because... I want you guys to check the episode out and I hope this entices you to join us on Patreon 
Uh, Sean Richmond, who joined us recently, mentioned that these Patreon episodes were what really drove him to jumping on board because he liked hearing the banter, the camaraderie. And look, he wasn't able to join us live, but he voted. And that's the thing. You don't have to be on the show to actually take part in these episodes. The voting process is all done before. And we got out of 17 people plus me, 18, we got, I think, everyone but three people to vote. So we got 14 people to vote in the end. So that to me is kick-ass. I'd love it to be everybody, but I get it. Not everyone has time to play podcast. <laughs> you know, people have more important shit to do. We've got all types of people on Patreon, all different walks of life, and everyone's life is just as important, one from the other. Even some people that are saving lives, other people that are driving buses, other people that are politicians, um, project managers, life coaches, so on and so forth. We're spread out all different walks of life, graphic designers, cybersecurity, retirees, um, people writing about economics. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what different people do here. People in the um, health uh, industry. Anyway, real quickly, shout out here. Again, Sean Richmond, Chris from Decibel Geek, uh, Tony in, in Barcelona. We have Gene Eugene DX in Canada. We have Anthony Mackey in Ireland. We have Ed Ferguson in Kentucky. We have Johan in Sweden. We have Metal Dan in California. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have Chris from the Song Swap Showdown, New Jersey, actually. We have Gabriel, the metal dentist in New Jersey. We have the retiree, Mr. Yarg Metal himself, Brad Dahl, yargmetal.com, out there in Utah. We have Mike Jones in central Jersey. We have uh, Jeremy Weltman up in the Manchester area outside of uh, uh, Cheshire, I believe. I'm not messing that up. Um, Cheshire, or um, <laughs> not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Jeremy, you can crap on me the next time you're on the show, which is probably going to be tonight. Um, we have Twisted Steve Hoker in New Jersey as well, and we have Steven Saylor in Pennsylvania. Thank you all of you guys for your support. If you want to keep track of the show, if you want to check out all the social media places where uh, you could like, follow, share episodes, all the various streaming platforms, all of the podcasting platforms. Go to signalsfrommars.com and you can find links to all of that great stuff. You'd find it across the top and bottom of the site, or you can just go to follow to find the whole expanded list. Also, you can go there to find Patreon. And once again, patreon.com forward slash signals from Mars. And that's enough yammering for me. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you spending time listening to the show and drop me a line. 
Let me know anywhere on any of these social media platforms that I just mentioned. If you want to mention that you love the episode, that you didn't agree with the episode, that some of our comments didn't make sense, so on and so forth. All comments are welcome. Good, bad, or indifferent. So there you go. Thanks once again. Let's move on to the countdown. Welcome, one and all, to the February 24th edition of Signals from Mars. I'm your host, Victor, and uh, we are we have a the biggest turnout ever for our 1984 special tonight. We have new faces. We have old faces. Uh, we are all spread out all around the world. Uh, we have Anthony Mackey in Ireland. We have Johan in Sweden, we have Jeremy in the UK. We have Mike in New Jersey. We have Ed Ferguson in Kentucky, Metal Dan in California, Antoni in uh, Barcelona. Uh, we have Steve in New Jersey, and we have Brad in Utah joining us tonight. Um, this is a special episode because... We got a whole lot of patrons to vote as well. We got a lot to show up, and outside of three people, everyone voted. So that, to me, is very positive. Um, overall, 46 albums were voted on. And I got to tell you, it was a very interesting afternoon because I reached out to everyone who hadn't voted and said, hey, you know, we got a few ties here. Do you mind voting? I know you didn't vote yet, but... Um, yeah, it would be interesting if you could lend us your your votes. And uh, there have been some some spots that have shifted all over the place. Number two was solid all week, and not so much at the end of the day today. So uh, it'll be interesting. Um, what do you guys think will be number one? Any any uh, guesses? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm feeling uh, going to go out on a limb and say Iron Maiden. You think it's going to be Iron Maiden. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll be. Um, uh, let's see. We lost two people. We lose. All right. Um, you getting feedback on me, uh, Jeremy? Hmm. Shit, this happened the last time. It's better now. I just reloaded, and uh, you sound better now. Okay. Um, all right. I'm recording on my end. I'm hoping yeah, sound, that. Let's you see. Right any... You sound absolutely okay. fine now. Yeah. <laughs> Good now. Uh, we have Sean in the chat as well. Sean, can you hear me okay? Are you hearing me distorted? Hope it's not uh, like a few weeks ago where it was completely distorted and then it came out that way in the end in the video. So, but uh, anyway, so yeah, so 46 albums were. Okay, Sean is saying it, it sorted itself. Okay, cool. 
46 albums were voted on. So I'm going to go real quick here from 46 all the way down to 16. And then we'll talk about the, uh, the top 15. Um, if anyone wants to stop me along the way because an album that they feel shouldn't be outside of the top 16, um, which may happen, I'm, I'm not going to say whose screen I'm looking at at the moment as I'm saying that, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and all you guys know, 1984 was a very hard year to pick. Uh, there's a lot of good music. And it's funny because I was looking at this and I was thinking this was harder than 83. And I think a lot of people point to 83 as being a much bigger year, but I would argue that this is even a better year than 83. So anyway, so, so here we go. 46 Q5 steal the light. 45, Spinal Tap, this is Spinal Tap. 44, Slayer, Haunting the Chapel. 43, Kick Axe with Vices. 42, HSAS with Through the Fire. 41, Anthrax, Fistful of Metal. 40, Metal Church, Metal Church. 39, In Excess, The Swing. 38, Helix, Walking the Razor's Edge. 37, Warlock, burning the or burning witches, excuse me. Thirty six, Manowar, hail to England. Thirty five, Inve Mountstein's rising force. Inve Mountstein's rising force. Thirty four, Stevie Ray Vaughan, couldn't stand the weather. Thirty three, Sammy Hagar, VOA. Uh, Thirty two, Motorhead, no remorse. 31, Weird Al in 3D. 30, Queen with The Works. 29, Triumph with Thunder Thunder 7, excuse me. 28, Crocus with The Blitz. 27, Europe with Wings of Tomorrow. 26, The Cult, Dreamtime. 25, The Cars, Heartbreak City. 24, Saxon, Crusader. 23, Steve Vai, Flexible. 22, Billy Squire, Signs of Life. Uh, 21, YNT and Rockweed Trust. Uh, there's somebody in the chat chiming in on Facebook saying, what's up, brother? Uh, we can't see who you are. It just says Facebook user. If it's Bill Elam or Rob Rowe or someone like that, let us know who you are. Um, all good so far? Any, any questions from anyone? Any rebuttals with albums that you guys feel should have been up higher? Uh, for, for me, the, uh, you know, Triumph Thunder 7, it, it's like a, a real personal album for me. You know, I, I bought it brand new, lived with it in my car for years. Uh, it's like a desert island album for me. So it, it, it hurts my, my middle soul <laughs> to see that low on the list. Um, but I get it. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's a you know, little off the cup for them. It's not their hardest rocking album. But I, I think that album, to me personally, is an absolute masterpiece. Okay. Johan, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Manowar, Hail to England. I know Manowar is a band that you can laugh about uh, a lot, but uh, that album, uh, Hail to England, is a fantastic album. And uh, I know this is a hard year to, <laughs> it's all tense. Everybody, every, every, every album is almost perfect but uh yeah man of war 
Helt tvinglande. I love that album. Uh, real good one. I think with the, with the Manowar album, probably the biggest thing there is that they were, being that they were never big in the U.S., and probably not until, like, Fighting the World, you really didn't start to see them, like, on MTV or on the radio or stuff like that. So okay. the, the first two albums were really hard to find, and they weren't readily available until... Um, I forget which came first, if it was uh, Kings of Metal or, or Fighting the World, but whichever was the second album was when you started to see those first two albums being sold in stores. So, okay. Jeremy, any anything on your end? Yeah, probably the Europe album. I really like that. I think it was, um, yeah, it was a great album before they released um, the big one. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, quite a few songs on that album, which um, they still play live today. So it shows that, you know, it stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't as well. Uh, produced and the uh, vocals sound a little bit more amateurish, I think, on on that particular album. But it's still a really good album. It's worth worth listening to again. I think. Jeremy, surprisingly enough, that falls under the same category as those Man of War albums. The first two Europe albums were not available in the states until the Final Countdown came out, blew up, and then those albums were released in the U.S. So I'm sure that probably has a lot to do with it. Ed, anything in, in your mind? Yeah, I would like to see Metal Church up higher, but, you know, that's a record that they released in 84 and then again in 85. And I think a lot of people didn't catch on to them until 85. I know I didn't until 86. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, what the one standout on that list you know, I have to talk about Slayer if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have put Haunting the Chapel on my list if it wasn't an EP. Right. Solely because Chemical Warfare is on that record, which is one of the ultimate thrash metal songs of all time. That that was, you know, they really laid a blueprint for thrash metal with that song. And uh, it never gets old. They, they, they only top that with uh, Angel of Death on Rain and Blood, and or, or maybe that whole album, if you ask me. But still, um, what an amazing year, even for the beginnings of thrash metal. Right. Uh, even though I don't think I, yeah, I didn't hear that record until 86 either. But got to acknowledge it. Okay. Dan, go ahead. Can't hear you, Dan. Still nothing. <laughs> you don't have check this I was on mute. All right, there you go. Um, I was working at a record store at the time, and we sold copy after copy of, of Haunting the Chapel by Slayer. And I was young that I really didn't know who this band was. I just took the album cover and hmm, pass it on and, and sell it. But damn, we were boxes and boxes of that. So we, Jeremy's right. Okay. Any, any, anything on your end that you're surprised that is outside of the top 20? Dan? No, there's a lot to choose from. So you're, you, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anthony? No. 
Um, the only surprise, well, I'm surprised on Brad's behalf because I know he likes Crusaders a lot. Um, <laughs> apart from that, no. Oh, yeah, are, you, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Brad, anything outside of Saxon that your surprise is outside of top 20? Uh, well, um, no. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Anthony. Anthony's got me pegged. So well done, Anthony. Yeah, Saxon should be higher. Okay, and Tony, what about you? Well, uh, two of my lower boats, Alex and Q Five, are two of the three of the lower boats of everybody. So, so it's something personal for me. Not for everyone, the two of these bands. Okay. Can you hear me? It's it's cutting in and out a little. Maybe it's it's because I have a new equipment. I have to buy a new laptop and a and new microphone, and maybe it's not the, the right tool. Oh, we could hear you fine before. I, I don't know. Maybe it could be a bunch of different things. But anyway, you mentioned the, the two of your albums that you picked uh, were, were outside of there. I didn't hear which two that you mentioned. LX and Q5. Okay, the Q5. Okay. Um, all right. Helix. And Helix. Okay, okay. Gotcha now. The Helix is is another one that um, Canadian band that uh, I know, for example, Mark used to talk about them all the time. And I only remember hearing one song of theirs on the radio, but I talked to a lot of people that knew about them way before I did. So, yeah, they're, they're actually pretty, pretty darn good band. I mean, consistently over the years and I, I've been playing a lot more of them, uh, but I didn't really get into them till this last couple of years. So Late to the party. But, so, that's also because you've yeah. seen them at M3, I'm assuming. I have not. I've never seen them anywhere. I wish they would play at M3, but M3's kind of, they're, they're kind of rough on Canadian bands. I don't know why. I got well, to see uh, Helix on the Monsters Cruise with the guy with the big hair. I don't know his name. He was one of the original guitar players from those videos back in the day. He had a rough uh, outage on the cruise, and he was pissed off about something that had happened with the band and I met him on his way out when we were got to port he was uh, having a bad day and he was sitting there but he was very nice to me and I could tell that he was leaving now he wanted no further thing with Helix and he never returned to the band after that because the band played the cruise the next year and he was gone he's he's the famous guy in all those videos he's very iconic looking it was just kind of humorous that I, and then I kind of politely walked up and said, Hey, can I get your auto? I think you're cool. And he kind of grumbled something about something going on with the band. I didn't want to get into it. I said, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> getting out of there before getting hit by any friendly fire. <laughs> um, all right. So real quick, let me just do 20 through uh, um, 16 here. So 20, we have, White Snake slided in, Kiss with Animal Eyes, Great White with Great White, Bon Jovi with Bon Jovi at 17, and Rush 
with Grace under pressure at 16. Johan? Uh, <laughs> Victor, your, your, your voice is very fast. <laughs> My voice is very fast all of a sudden. It's yeah. true. It, yeah, you're kind of, you, it's got that clicking and speeding up of your voice. Um, I'm going to blame, uh, I'm going to blame Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my, my voice sounds weird. It seriously sounds like it's, yeah, it's seriously sped up. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, it's like you drink 10 cups of coffee. <laughs> You're on a helium balloon. <laughs> it's like listening to a podcast on three times. Yeah. yeah that's what it sounds like. You're bored with us already. Hurry through this. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good now. Not at all. Well, so, you're hey, back again. You might want to yeah. mention one of those uh, last bands there again for Johan. Well, okay. Let me read that again. So, White Snake slided in at 20. Kiss Animalize at 19. 18 is Great White, Great White. 17 is Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi, and 16 is Rush, Grace Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we Why? Go. <laughs> haven't, well, uh, haven't I told you guys about Rush? Can't you see? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I know it's Grace Under Pressure. Perhaps it's a hard record to... to um, to love it's a very 80s record but uh i mean to be honest it's on my top three and uh it, if you sh if you had heard it and listened to it correctly it should be on your top three as well so uh i'm not going to say shame on you but shame on you guys it's uh <laughs> yeah I, I think we need a recount, Victor. I think somebody is fixing the the election here. Believe me, no. I'm 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 changing mine and I'm putting rushes uh, on my list. So thank you. Well, oh, first it was already thank there. You. It was yep. it was already there. Top yep. five. Yeah, thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. <laughs> okay, so let me do 15 through 11 before we jump on into the top 10 here. So at 15, we have The Warning by Queensryche. 14, Fugazi by Marillion. 13, so now I'll say this. 13, 12, and 11 were in and out of the top 10 the entire week. So I didn't know where any of these albums were going to land because they got as high as 7 and they got as low as where they are now. So, um, Sean is questioning why Marillion is at 14. Well, um, again, this, this comes back to popularity. Marillion was a huge band in the UK, but no one knew who they were in the US. So, uh, Sean and Anthony obviously voted for them, but nobody else did. Um, that's, that's the reason why they end up there. And these albums, 13 and up got voted by so by out of uh, 17 pe people got voted by 14 of those 17 almost every single list had uh, had the majority of these out so that's why they're they're ranked higher 
Um, so at 13, we have March of the Saint by Armored Saint. At 12, we have Condition Critical by Quiet Riot. And 11, Perfect Strangers by Deep Purple. So, again, all these albums are great. But when we take into consideration what's above them, I think that's kind of the... Um... <laughs> Sean's making the Johan complaint with Marillion. Okay. <laughs> um, but when we factor in what's above these albums, I think that that kind of eases the pain, I would think. But anyway, here's where we flip to the um, to the covers of the albums. At number 10, I'm surprised this got voted on by so many people, but it's got a lot of great quintessential stuff on there. Oh boy. <laughs> the voice is going out of whack again. Okay. Um, I'm recording on my end, so everything should be fine for the audio at least. The the thing that sucks is that when people watch the um watch a video, it's gonna be wacky. But uh, anyway, so at ten. Self-titled debut by, and this band has just decided to um, bring one of the most controversial, most famous songs off of this back. So I had an EP, if I'm not mistaken, named after that song, but it is Wasp with Wasp. Anyone want to mention something about this album? Yeah, sure. It's uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, albums for metal here in Sweden in the mid-80s. Uh, I think it's a 10 out of 10 album, as well as all the albums are. Uh, not a bad song. So it's just a matter of taste here. <laughs> okay. Anyone else want to mention something? I didn't have bandwidth for it in my top 10, but I, at the same time, can feel like it deserves it. So mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with it if that's what the group votes for. It is a standout album, but I put uh, Armored Saint and Great White much higher than that. Yeah, that Look at Metal Dan accepting the vote. Good job, Metal Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the Great White album is something that I honestly have played a lot. It's a good uh, album. It, it is a very good album, and I think it's one that's really forgotten by them because they, they switched up their sound so much after this. But uh, truly a, a really good album for that point in time. The Wasp album, The Wasp and honestly The Armored Saint are two albums that in my neck of the woods just didn't get airplay, so I wasn't turned on to them. The next album, however... Did and it's unfortunate that uh, someone who was with us earlier is having technical difficulties and couldn't join us for this. But uh, at number nine, Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister. Anyone want to mention something about this album? 
Well, as the New Jersey representative, I will uh, cover for the Hokanator, Twisted <laughs> Steve Hoker. Um, absolutely brilliant album. So much, you know, it, it put kind of the, the fun in metal at, at that point. Uh, you know, a little, little bit of comedy there along with, you know, some good positive messages and just you know, an amazing overall band. Um, to my ears at, at age 14, when I first heard it, it was just spectacular. And yeah, the, the album cover freaked out the parents. So it was uh, an A plus effort all the way. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, for you know, for my youth, that Twisted Sister album, I have a little bit higher. I can accept it at nine so far. Uh, it was huge. It, uh, Twisted Sister and Y&T on these two albums of 84 was my true first concert experience. Um, I think I was 16 or sub, 15 or something like that. And uh, iconic. It was something for my youth at the time. And, uh, you know, I knew about Twisted Sister before with D. But I'd never seen them live, of course. So my first experience is, is D riling up that crowd at Irvine Meadows in California. And that's what I have to say about that. Okay. Uh, Johan, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Twisted Sister were the absolute most popular uh, band in Sweden, 1985, I would say. Uh, yeah. They have two videos on the, our only two network channels. Uh, I want to rock and we're not going to take it. And uh, they were the absolute biggest metal band here back then. Okay. Ed, did you want to say something? Um, <laughs> Mike mentioned freaking your parents out. Uh, of course, I told you how freaked out my parents already were by rock music and I didn't help the situation because for some reason I wrote down the uh, lyrics to Captain Howdy, you know, in my <laughs> notebook and right. it was in my, my drawer. And when I was 15, my mom decided to do some extra spring cleaning and found everything I'm not supposed to have in the room and found those lyrics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, every time I hear that song, of course, you know, I didn't put the end of the song, where the guy gets his uh, gets his due, but the uh, the creepy Captain Howdy guy, I put uh, I wrote down and put in my drawer for my mom to find. I, they didn't know what to think of me after reading that. <laughs> Did you explain that it was influenced by Stephen King? I don't, I don't know how I explained that. Although <laughs> <laughs> they were probably more concerned about other things they found in my room, like the bottle of whiskey under my waterbed mattress. And, <laughs> magazines that I shouldn't have and such, you know. <laughs> All the goodies of a teenage boy. Right. <laughs> are your are your parents still worried about you a little bit, Ed? Everybody is, yeah. Okay. Everyone. That's right. <laughs> I seem to give them a good reason to without even trying. <laughs> Cool. So as, as much as I mentioned that some of the albums were ended up outside of the uh, top 10, this album was in and out, which kind of surprised me because I think it was such a landmark album at the time. Um, but again, so many things above it. I, I kind of understand why. But um, number eight, 
Love It First Thing by Scorpions. Yeah. Huge album. Yeah. Who wants to comment on this one? <laughs> I'll take it. All right, Brad, go ahead. Yeah, I, I feel like this was uh, the peak of the Scorpions, at least uh, on this on this side of the whatever. Um, in fact, I feel, I feel like a lot of these bands, that metal, uh, metal was really really ruling the world at this time and uh, but this album this is what put scorpions in the headlining status uh made them known to everybody everybody knew rocky like a hurricane um it was it was their b- biggest album i don't know that any of their albums have been bigger yeah i don't i don't think anything tops this as far as sales yeah. and, and i mean you you look at the album you look at the singles that came off of it from Rocky, like the a hurricane to still loving you to big city nights, to bad boys running wild. And then if you add on some of the other album tracks, I mean, this album is solid top to yeah. bottom. Um, I wonder if we have scorpions to blame for the whole uh, power ballad thing. Cause still loving you. I, I don't know if that's the first one, but it was huge. And that's it seemed like after that. Uh, it seemed like after that, everybody had to have one. So every bad boy has a soft side. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> I, of bad boys, when when I got that, of course, vinyl back in the day, when you drop the needle and it goes into bad boys running wild, that, is, that opening riff is just, uh, that's iconic to me. I mean, it's just so good. It's like what, you know that something big's happening when that thing. Uh, right. Appears. So yeah, great album. Love that album. Top three for me. Any anyone else want to mention anything about this album? Yeah, go ahead, Anthony. Scorpions in European was one of the few bands that in the were minimal accepted. Uh, everything else is the are away, very strange, but the Scorpions being European, and maybe, as uh, Brett says, uh, the, the power balance have a, 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 um, more, more people into these songs and um, realize maybe it's not uh, everything the same, and the mass people can accept this kind of, of bands, this kind of, of music. Uh, Scorpions were big in Spain in late mid-80s. Yeah. yeah. I, when Brad was talking about um, the beginning of Bad Boys Running Wild, I mean, there was a time period there where, as Antonio is saying, when I would vacation here in Spain, you wouldn't tend to hear a lot of hard rocker metal in, in regular bars, you wouldn't rock bars, but you would tend to hear still loving you. You would hear bad boys running wild, big city nights, stuff like that in regular bars. So as he's saying, uh, the, they, they made a lot of this music acceptable uh, for a lot of people. And, and it was amazing that a band that wasn't out of the UK or, or the U S was, was able to do that. So, yeah, they were huge. And, and I mean, I think if you really look at it, Maiden, Priest, and Scorpions at this point in time were 
pretty much at the same level um, worldwide, I think. So, I mean, it speaks to how big this album actually was because this is the album that, that put them there. So, um, all right. Moving on to number seven. Uh, I would say that this is a shock, but this is an album that I have played the ever-living shit out of throughout my entire lifetime. Um, I remember we had we had an option. Well, before we would come over on vacation, my parents would give us money to buy a tape to bring over. And although it wasn't this album that I bought, um, the album that came out after this made me go back and realize that this was the, the superior <laughs> of, the, of the two albums. But uh, here we go. Docking Tooth and Nail at number seven. Uh, I love this album, and I'm surprised that so many other people uh, love this album to get it up to seven because Dokken wasn't as big as Scorpions. They weren't as big as Twisted Sister. They weren't as big as Deep Purple, Quiet Riot. But is this the effect of maybe afterwards going back and listening to these albums now, realizing how good this album is? Or is it that for, for you guys uh, that voted for this, was it just that good of an album that you guys have always felt? It was good. I mean, the guitar playing is awesome on this. The, I think the songwriting is is among the best that Dokken has, has ever released. So, I mean, it makes sense that this will probably be the, the highest charting album out of any of these lists that we will do. Um, anyone want to mention anything about Tooth and Nail by Dokken? Go ahead, Ed. Um, you know, in 1984, everything was still pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. So when this album came out, we... My friends and I like this one just as much as everything else we listen to. This is probably the heaviest docking record, if you ask me. Um, And, of course, videos like Alone Again played repeatedly. There's another kind of ballady start for that year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this, this is a classic record. Yeah, it deserves to be on the list. Uh, I th- I think this is the album that really put George Lynch on the map. I mean, if if you take oh, yeah. away anything else that he's recorded, just the solo for the title track, I, I mean, is mm-hmm. just one one of those things that, in my opinion, could rival something that Vivian Campbell or Randy Rhodes did at that point in time. You know, it's it's up there as one of the most quintessential solos of that time period. And the track, the title track, "Tooth and Nail," that's that's almost as heavy as a thrash metal song back yeah. then. It's got yeah. some, yeah, thrashy riffs in there. Yeah, absolutely. Too bad they had to poof out their hair the next year, in '85 <laughs> on "Under Lock and Key." Yeah, well, that At least was. They the- got a cool album cover on this one, and then at, in '85 they had to show us pictures of their pretty selves. Well, that was that was the uh, the, the label. The, the band actually yeah. hated that cover and that the whole, the whole story behind that is that the, the label paid, I don't know how much money for those, for those outfits. They did the photo shoot and they threw them all in the garbage and the, uh, the, the label got pissed off at them because they'd spent like thousands of dollars on that. And they were like, yeah, we don't, 
we're, we're more of a jeans and t-shirt band. And that's actually, uh, they're, they were managed by the same people that managed Metallica and the, their management was trying to get them to go more in that like street type of a look more so than a glam look. And it was, it was all the lectures doing. They were giving Striper a run for their look on that album under lock and key. Yeah. <laughs> all that uh, yellow. Anyone else want to say something about Tooth and Nail? No, it's a it's a it's a great album. First album I got of theirs. Um, like uh, Metal Dan, I saw Twisted Sister with Y and T. Talk about outfits. How about hey Dan? How about those outfits Y and T were wearing on that tour? Yeah, and they had the new mascot with the the robot yep. guy for the first time. Yeah, there. yeah. And the video of the short shorts that they regret wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they, they had they had all these. Uh, Dave Minichetti was wearing this big hot pink jumpsuit kind of thing on that tour. But anyway, the opening band here. I don't know if it was the same where you saw them, Dan. But it, it was Dawkins. And so that was obviously the first time I'd I'd ever seen Dawkins. And, and yeah, they hit the stage with Tooth and Nail and just blew the place up. For an opening band, it was incredible. Every song they played was great. And they were really, really good. And Don Dawkins at that point, in fact, during the 80s, I think he was the best hard rock singer. His tone, uh, his range, he had a, just an incredible scream. Uh, at that point, he was he was the king. So, Yeah, it was uh, Dio and Dawkins speaking to Brad at, uh, in San Bernardino on that tour. And... Uh, Doc and I had his number 11. Just didn't make my top 10. But um, back in the day, I used to listen to it all the time. Yeah, this, this is one for me that I still listen to from time to time. So, again, happy it ended up at seven. Yeah, it's it's one that I, I will never be like, oh, I don't want to listen to this. Anytime any of that stuff comes on, I'm I'm all in. Uh, it hasn't got hasn't, – I haven't got bored of it yet. All right, number six, and I will say that the biggest song off of this album was the track that most people submitted when they submitted the track for an album. So it just goes to show the popularity and what MTV can do for you all these years later. Uh, It is Out of the Cellar by Rat. Anyone want to mention anything about rat? Go ahead, Dan. So I do. So I created a list for myself, and maybe this is another topic for another day. But I created albums that come to my head that I think is a perfect album. And Rat Out of the Cellar is a perfect album. When I say that, that means there's no duds on the album. Every song is listenable over and over. It's perfect all the way through. So Rat Out of the Cellar is number three on my list. And definitely one I still listen to today. Okay. You're absolutely Ed, right. you were going to say something? Yeah, he's absolutely okay. right. Th- yeah, this one is at the very top of my favorite, you know, classic pop metal records. And, uh, yeah, Round and Round, we've heard a million times. But, man, that song is still great. Um, and uh, Warren D. Martini, he's my probably my favorite guitarist from when I'm comparing him to George Lynch, you know, both of those guys were 
super hot players back then, but uh, Warren Warren D. Martini was always my favorite. And yeah, like Dan said, there's not a bad song on this record. Um, it was a perfect uh, follow-up to that EP that they released in 83, I guess. And uh, yeah, the, the guitar playing on this record is great. The song writing is, you know, dark and heavy, but yet fun too. It was a perfect record for 1984. Yeah, a shame that they can't get their shit together. Uh, more than anything else is that they're... Their catalog, the entire thing, isn't available uh, on streaming services. There's there's a lot of stuff that that is missing, or stuff that um, uh, the, where you don't have complete albums. Uh, the EP is nowhere to be found. Some of the bigger songs off of the EP are nowhere to be found, and that to me is is a big shame. And that's just because they can't get along and, and straighten all that stuff out. So, uh, maybe one day. <laughs> Number five. Uh, this, this is an album that uh, I, I watched something online about the biggest singles that were released in 1985. And this has, it was number two single that year, but it's still the second most streamed song from that year as well and it's so different to anything that the band had done before and this to me brad mentioned uh scorpions possibly ushering in the um the power ballad did this band make it okay to have keyboards on your songs van halen 1984 Jump is the second most streamed song of 1984, only behind Culture Club's Karma Chameleon. So, um, <laughs> this is this was a hugely popular album. Uh, for me personally, it's probably my least favorite David Lee Roth era Van Halen album, but um, who voted on this? Who wants to talk about this album? Go ahead, Brad. Yeah. Um, let's see. I did. I voted. I voted on this one. I really like this album a lot. And even though there's keyboards on it, there's no keyboard player per se. I mean, let's just say it's not like well, they added a keyboard. That's, to the- <laughs> that's due to Eddie's stubbornness because later on, later on in life, they did add a keyboard player live. No. When? Yeah. The last, the last few tours with Sammy Hagar, they had a keyboard player off stage, and the only time that Eddie played keyboards on stage was for Jump. Yeah, I, that's true. He's he stopped playing keyboards on stage. I think he was afraid letting Sammy play guitar. So, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. It this this is a really good album. I mean, it's a it sounds good. It, it oh, songs are good. Rock. They made keyboards cool. Yeah, I, I, for me personally, a song like "All Wait" used to always come on when I went to the dentist. So I mean, it's it had a different kind of memory for me. I, I when you got there, did you have to wait? 
Yeah, I did. It, it was. They always played "I'll Wait" in the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. I don't know how that worked out. It was as if it was waiting for me. So, uh, anyone else want to uh, speak about 1984? Oh, well. Go ahead, Anthony. Uh, this uh, the production on this album is so dry and natural and that's I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't aged at all it sounds as fresh as it did mm. back then you know it's it's pretty raw and um, I don't know like jump jump is jump but jump is amazing like um, yeah. I don't know um, have any of you guys watched any of the uh, of Rick Briato's videos where he 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 uh, analyzes the song he goes what makes this song great that's his thing mm-hmm. and uh he does his episode on jump is really good and it, it kind of he kind of um puts words into you know what i've thought for ages about that song how it's it's so much better than people think it is yeah, for for as much shit as I give them for for what I just said, I mean the song is classic for for what it is. Uh, I don't think anyone can deny that. And I mean, listen, uh, I say the same thing about Panama and Hot for Teacher, uh, and even I'll wait. Um, these aren't songs that I search out because I've heard them so much over time, but. You know, when I want to listen to that early Van Halen catalog and I go through all the albums, you know, I I have no issue listening to it. And, and hey, at the end of the day, if I have to choose between listening to 1984 or Thriller, it's 1984 all the way. So, <laughs> you know, um, anyone else before we move on? Anyone else want to say anything about 1984? Okay. Number five, an album that we talked about not that long ago, or band that we talked about not that long ago because we came up with an ultimate playlist for them after doing a special on them previous to that. But it is. What did I say? Oh, four. Yes, number four. Um, yeah, this album, this album... Number three and number two kept shuffling back and forth. And then as of yesterday, this one kind of stood pat at number four. So number four is Defenders of the Faith by Judas Priest. Anyone want to mention something about Defenders? Yeah, I'll step in there, I think, because I'm wearing the hat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's um, <clears throat> it's a great album. Judas Priest have released, you know, a, a many great albums during their career, and I think we'd probably agree that this is probably, you know, it's up there with their best work because it's so solid all the way through. Uh, um, you know, some of the albums that they've released, they tail off, or there's a few uh, the odd dud song in there that you don't want to hear, but this one really rocks uh, in a good old eighty style. Um, and I really enjoy it. I just think it's a great album, and I know there's others that probably agree, um, and it's worthy of being number four, I think. Okay. Um, Anyone else want to mention something about Defenders? Go ahead, Johan. Yeah, this is... uh, This were my number one album. 
uh, in hard competition. But uh, as Jeremy said, it's a it's a great album. No fillers, just uh, good songs all the way through. Uh, my favorite song, as I posted to you, Victor, is the Sentinel. Uh, it variates, but right now it's a Sentinel. So, uh, right. yeah. Uh, Absolutely magnificent. They're, I, in my opinion, their best album, but uh, I, I know that uh, someone thinks different. But yeah, Defenders, what an album. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Um, yeah, to me, it's uh, top three Judas Priest for me. Absolutely. Was... Uh, uh was my number two album if i remember correctly uh just such a strong album by them um the the one album that placed above it for me is just that i've listened to it so much more but uh anyway uh definitely deserves to to be there number three was an album that was number two all week all week. And then today, with some last-minute votes, barely dropped down to number three. Number number two and number three are the closest to as far as points out of uh, the entire list. So, it is. Last in Line by Dio. Jeremy, I know you want. This is, yeah, this is just utter madness, utter madness. What are you guys? You need to wake up and and listen to it again and put it on eleven, not ten, because this is the great one of the greatest albums of all time. It's it's amazing. I know that I know we're going to talk about some great albums that are above it. Um, I mean, it's just what can you say about Dio? He he had these two great albums in Rainbow, the two great albums in Black Sabbath, and then the two great albums in his own band and to, to follow holy diver with um with an album that's got so many great songs on it i mean you could listen to any of those songs on their own and they're all fantastic but then you get to the end of the album and you've got that egypt the chains are on which is one of the greatest songs that any heavy metal band's ever done um beats iron maiden beats any other the band to me um you know the the band is really rocking it's cooking it's it's playing as a as a heavy metal band should play. It's melodic. Um, you can sing along to it, but you can still rock out to it. It's fantastic. Dan, go ahead. So I have a personal memory for Dio Last in Line. Um, I didn't have it at number two. I had it at seven. Um, but the thing about it is it came out on July 2nd, 1984. And I know where I was and and why, you know, I know where I was on this date that it was released because it was a really important. I was a youngster that didn't have a car. We were on a family vacation and I had known that the record was coming out that day. And I was totally into, you know, albums that are released and you got to get it. I had to take a break from vacation, have my mom take me to a record store where I wasn't sure where there was one. Go get that cassette run back home to where I had my portable tape player with me. And I said, I got to be alone and I'm putting this in and I have to listen to it right now. Nothing else matters to me. You guys can all vacation. 
but I was young and that's what mattered for that day. And that's, you know, I can't say where I purchased every album in my life, but I know where Dio Last in Line is. For some reason, it made that impression. Wow. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. That, that's, that, that makes doing these shows with you guys worth it, hearing those kinds of stories. So I, I appreciate you sharing that uh, with us, Dan. Uh, anyone else want to mention something about Last in Line? Mike, where did you see them? Um, so I got the pleasure of seeing that tour with Twisted Sister opening up at Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> they had lasers shooting down on the stage from up on the rocks. Um, you know, Dio comes out with the sword and he's shooting lasers all over the audience. It was just so absolutely epic. Um, you know, every every band member was like the perfect band member for you know that time that place in in dio's career um you know a voice from god like the the guys how, how a voice that big came out of a man that small has just always been utterly amazing to me um i wore out my first uh, cassette copy that i bought in my car bought it again Bought it on CD, had it on vinyl. So, yeah, I mean, this one yeah, has a very, very special place in my life. Um, I think I had this one at, at number three, so it's right up there with, for me. Cool. Anyone else? I'll, I'll, I'll share a real quick story. Kind of touches on this. Um, so I get a message yesterday. And the message is from somebody who it says the name says Jimmy Rock and Roll or Jimmy R and R, and I'm thinking, who the hell's this? And uh, and it's my mailman. And my mailman is I don't know mid fifties, doesn't look like he's into rock music at all. And I told him I said, does the R and R stand for Rock and Roll? He says, yeah, all my friend, he, his name is, uh, is Jamie Jaime in Spanish. And, um, he says, yeah, but all my friends know me as Jimmy rock and roll. He goes, because every good, um, you know, rock musician, their name is either Jimmy or James or something like that. And he goes like Jimmy page, Jimmy Hendrix. And he says like Ronald James Padavona. And I'm like, whoa. Uh, he goes on to say James Heffield and stuff. But what stuck with me is he knew Ronnie James Dio's real name right off the bat. And he goes, um, you like music, don't you? I go, you want to come in and see my vinyl collection? He goes, no, no, I, I need to finish for the day, some other day. But so we real quickly start talking about Dio. And he admitted to seeing the Dio um, hologram here and everything else. Uh, but it was like one of these coolest things that without knowing it, you know, my mailman is a really big deal fan. So, uh, so yeah, uh, love the, love the album. It's funny because I revisited last in line, uh, while doing this. And before that I was like, you know, I like the album. I don't love it. And then after I started listening to it, I'm like, shit, this has so much good stuff on it. Like, it's one of those things where there's so much good stuff here that you forget about some of the stuff that you like because you listen to other stuff more. But the album is, 
I'm not going to argue with uh, with Jeremy as to whether it should be higher or not, but I'm glad it's within the top 10 and it's within the top three. So, uh, number two, an album that, um, that Johan and Brad, um, the three of us talked about last week. To me, this album signaled the beginning of thrash metal. Um, and, uh, Ed, you mentioned, uh, haunting the chapel before, but to me, ride the lightning. I mean, it starts off with fight fire with fire, the title track. I mean, even fade the black fade. The black to me is something that for as much as people talk about Ozzy guitarist and Tony Iommi being the most important to me, the song revelation mother earth was such a huge influence on thrash metal with that acoustic part going into that fast part to the end. I think that's a direct Uh, influence on fade the black i mean to me this is what what really laid the initial foundation for thrash metal not taking anything away from kill them all but i do think that kill them all for the most part was more of a new wave of british heavy metal album where ride the lightning was finally their their stamp and i mean that's without me even mentioning for whom the bell tolls and uh and creeping death which get played a million times a day on radio all around the world in 2023. So, um, Ed ride the lightning. Yeah. You're making good points. They kind of showed what you could do with thrash metal beginning with this record being more diverse than kill them all. Um, of course this was my intro to thrash metal hearing them on the metal shop. And uh, so I heard Ride the Lightning first, went to the mall the next day, bought it, and then heard Fight Fire with Fire for the first time. So that was probably my, the fastest song I'd ever heard. And nobody I knew liked it. <laughs> I couldn't find one person that liked that. Right. Uh, they could handle For Whom the Bell Tolls, that kind of thing better. But, uh, you know, after a while, especially with Master of Puppets, people started to come around and realize just how epically great this record is um you know the tone the production is just perfect uh i love this album cover uh not a song i don't like ride the you know the song ride the lightning one of the greatest yeah thrash metal songs of all time as well you know these these uh 83 84 85 even though thrash metal was still so underground it's just so much awesome stuff to dig into during those years, especially because you can hear all the genres of extreme metal mm-hmm. in all those bands. And then as the 80s went on and the 90s, then they became more subgenre. But back then when it was all starting, you were hearing flavors of everything at once. And it was just super exciting. Yeah, and I think they... And all the bigger bands, you know, they, they, we point to say suicidal tendencies or DRI, DRI, excuse me, uh, or even anthrax is doing crossover type stuff. But I do think that Metallica, I mean, just listen to fight fire with fire. There's stuff there. That's definitely drawn from, from punk rock. 
that they are they're incorporating in there, which is kind of what made thrash thrash. If if you if you think about it, you know, you you take some punk, you take some motorhead, you take some new wave of British heavy metal music, you fuse that all together, you, you fuse some of that, you know, the the acoustic stuff that Randy Rhodes was doing as intros. You know, you, you look at battery, you look at fade to black, you look at all these other things that they've done over the years and maybe they don't get enough credit for crossing over some of the stuff. But I mean, I think this album is, is huge. Definitely in, in retrospect, anyone else want to mention something about ride the lightning? Johan. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh had it on cassette, not uh, the original, just the taped over cassette. Right. Uh, it's a fantastic album. My number two or three, I remember. But uh, yeah, my favorite song back in the day were Trapped Under Ice. Not anymore, but that's this is a fantastic album. It's... Uh, very important album back in the day. So uh, perhaps Metallica's finest hour, perhaps. Um, yeah, we have talked a lot about this album, but uh, no, I can't say any more right now. For whom the bell tolls, I mean, I've seen Metallica at least 15 times perhaps I mean For Whom the Bell Tolls is still a fantastic live song uh, yeah fantastic album yeah no I can't say anymore and outside of what you've mentioned about the album one thing that you mentioned to me is a big deal you said you can't remember if it was two or three and that's because there's so much good music here that it's hard to keep track <laughs> of of which album you know you you ranked above the other one just because of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to speak of this list, I mean, the the albums I have ranked, I mean, they're all top ten albums. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, they're not top ten. It's, it's the albums I have uh, mentioned on your list is. Oh wow! It's perfect albums, all of them. So uh, this is uh, not there. There aren't any losers on this this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had thirteen, and it was harder for me to realize what the first ten were going to be. More so than you know, worrying about uh, whether they were good albums or not. So, uh, are we ready for number one? What? what <laughs> Let's let's recap 10 through 2 real quickly here. At 10, we had Wasp with Wasp. At 9, Twisted Sister with Stay Hungry. 8, we had Scorpions with Love at First Sting. Dokken with Tooth and Nail at 7. Rat with Out of the Cellar at 6. Van Halen with 1984 at 5. Judas Priest with Defenders of the Faith at four. Deal with Last in Line at <laughs> at three. Sorry, uh, I'm remembering. I think Mike made the comment 
when I mentioned um, Phil Susan saying that they weren't doing Dio stuff or that they weren't, they were kind of getting away from the whole Dio thing. And Mike says, for God's sakes, you named the band after a Dio song. So <laughs> there you go. Last in line <laughs> at uh, number three. At number two, Metallica with Ride the Lightning. And at number one, no shock uh, to anyone. Uh, this is the highest rated album points wise out of uh, any list that I've done with you guys. So it is Power Slave by Iron Maiden. Huge album. Huge album for the band. Um, I think Number of the Beast was probably the first big album in the States for them. But I think um, this was the first huge album for them in the States because I remember MTV premiering the video for Two Minutes to Midnight. I remember them premiering the video for Aces High. And that was unheard of for bands like this at that time. You know, outside of maybe Ozzy and Motley Crue and Kiss, mm, I don't know, maybe Def Leppard. Outside of that, you didn't have bands like Iron Maiden getting a lot of press on MTV. And they it was a big deal. They did a whole, you know, back then they did the uh, video premieres and through they played the song throughout. They played the video throughout the day. Two Minutes to Midnight was on a considerable amount of times. And that to me was huge as, as a, you know, as a heavy metal fan, uh, this album, I think easily outside of maybe one list, one or two, maybe was on everybody's list at one place, you know, one spot or another. Um, so this is a big album for, for pretty much everyone here. Um, who wants to talk about Power Slave? Raise your hand. <laughs> there you go, Dan. Mike, go ahead. You were first. Power Slave. Oh. Are you muted? Can't hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, going, going back to what Dan had said about anticipating an album coming back and having to get it the first day, uh, September 1984, uh, me and a bunch of my friends from high school Left school, middle of the day, the second the record store opened, piled into my car, drove over to the record shop, opened the box, and got our original copies of, of Power Slave, sat in the car, listened to it all the way through twice before heading back to school. So <laughs> um, that was like, that was the album for me in, in high school. And I played it over and over and over again. And is another one of those albums that could come up any day and I will listen to it all the way through, no matter what. Well, yeah, the, uh, I don't remember where I was when I bought that one either or that one, but I know I had it on cassette and what was interesting with the cassette is, you know, you're listening to it for the first time and the cassette had a long gatefold. Some of them were just, you know, a couple of pages and you flip it once and that was it. But this one was special and it folded out to what? 
eight pages or so. I don't know, whatever. But I just remember that. And you kept looking at it back and forth. Both sides double printed. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a it's a perfect album. And the launch of the tour that really made them what they are now today with that tour, Scream For Me, Long Beach, the live, you know, the live after death and all that. It, it pushed them to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Who who else? Who else wants to talk Power Slave? Yeah, I will. Good. Yeah, well, th- yeah, it's a this was a huge huge album uh here really highly anticipated and uh it, it's great that they managed to get so big on it because it it was like an album they didn't make any compromises. And they got huge as a result, you know. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of a great album. They did really well. Good for them, kind of situation. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, if you really think about it, the title track "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner." I mean, between them, that's twenty some odd minutes worth of music in two songs. And it's not what they've done in recent years. I mean, it's well thought out and every riff and twist and turn really has a, a rhyme and a reason to what they were doing. Um, and much, much like the what I said about Final Halen, it's got a natural production that hasn't dated at all. Uh, and I'll, it, it, it won't date because it, it just sounds like a band playing. Right. Um, it's it's beautiful. I, I love listening to this album either on really good headphones or on good speakers. As a drummer, hearing Nico playing, I mean, like what you're saying, just the way that Martin Birch captured them, it sounds like you're in the room with them. I mean, those drums sound like they're in the room with you. It's, it's unfortunate because I think, uh, Anthony, you've mentioned this before, what they went from with Power Slave to what they got on Somewhere in Time where the production was just somewhere completely different, where to, to me it just feels so neutered. And with this album, I, re- I really think Number of the Beast, um, Peace of Mind, and Power Slave sonically are probably their best three sounding albums because of that. Um, let's see who else wants to mention something about power slave. Anyone else? It's a great, it's a great album, man. It's, um, unlike you guys who bought cassettes, I would buy the vinyl and put everything on a cassette because I like to edit things. Um, but this album, this is the first album I think I had that wouldn't fit on a C90 and on one side, it was more than 45 minutes long. And so I had to cut a song out. I'm trying to remember which song that was that I cut out, but uh, it was a tough one. It was it was tough to omit a song from this album because this album was that good. And yeah, this time, this time in the world, and Iron Maiden, they, they were number one. So it, it was yeah, great album, great concert too. So cool. Anyone else? Power Slave. Yeah, this is uh, this is the first album that I um, <clears throat> I remember back in the day in '84, '85, uh, seeing uh, older guys in my town 
wearing concert t-shirts with Power Slave. So uh, you know, with the mummy head on the front and yeah, uh, yeah. and the tour on the back, mm-hmm. and I, I remember asking them, "Where did you buy those t-shirts?" I I bought them in Gothenburg, where we see them. So uh, that's when I decided I want to go to concerts, uh, and obviously. Uh, when they were here on the Power Slave tour, they were here in Europe. Uh, Motley Crue was opening up for them, and uh, to see that show uh, would be absolutely amazing. And uh, to me, it's uh, one of those shows that I've uh, really wanted to see. Maiden and Motley Crue '84 in Gothenburg, it's but exciting. I didn't. I wasn't there. <laughs> That's uh, Motley Crue coming off of um, Shout at the Devil, right? Yeah. But they have uh, changed their stage outfits, so they were a little bit more, you know, with the colors and the, yeah. Okay. More theater or paint clothes. So oh, okay, we, were, okay. we were a little bit confused when we saw the pictures from the show. <laughs> right. They, they drastically changed their... Their look, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Big thing back then. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. Cool. So um any surprises in the top ten for you guys? Anything that you guys could say doesn't fit the top ten? Well, I have to say there wasn't too many from my list in the top ten. Uh I was surprised that say scorpions was I, I never even actually never even considered putting scorpions in, you know. So, the top two, no surprise whatsoever. It was always going to be those two. I'm surprised that Dio was as high. Uh, I know it was very high in, among some people's lists, but I didn't think it would get that high amongst, you know, everybody's. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it. But like, what did, what did you have as number one, Anthony? Good question. I know it changed at the last minute. I think it was Dio. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it, it was either. I can't remember. You, you want me to say it? Oh no! Yeah, it was Marillion. Of course yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good for you. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I think that's the difference between where you are and where I am, where Marillion doesn't even come in at all to me. They don't exist. But yet for me, in the top albums, and I had to keep them out, is Lizzie Borden, which is Los Angeles, California, and Keel with Lay Down the Law. So, you know, those were on my radio in my area. Marillion didn't even exist. Oh, yeah. Well, we were aware of Lizzie Borden. Uh, Keel, not so much that. Our, well, my introduction to Keel was the right to rock, so um, I presume that was after that. Yeah, but, so, but I mean, yeah. uh, to, to, to your point, then, that's why I think doing these shows is so special because we're all from different parts of the world. So, especially back then radio was so different mtv was so different and we've talked to anthony about that how 
that was pretty much non-existent for him. Uh, and, in, and in other parts of the world, I'm, I'm sure it was the same. Whereas, you know, Scorpion was all over TV and radio back then for us. Um, a lot of these bands were. So it's, it's interesting how for some people it certain things rank high. We, we talked about the Europe album. We talked about the um, Helix and Motorhead album uh the the q5 which uh antony mentioned i never heard of q5 until he he added it to the list uh just because it was a band that we weren't familiar with so that's something that i need to uh check out now um a, a lot of these a, a lot of this that, that's kind of what was cool about back then with radio is that it was very regional so a band like an armored saint could be big in like three states and you heard about them whereas nowadays everything has to be universal or the band quote unquote isn't big so um anyway any any for anyone else is there anything that surprised them go ahead johan yeah i i I, uh, didn't hear where uh, merciful fate ended up no merciful fate Anywhere on here. Aha, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, we sold a lot of that album too in the record store. And I didn't know what was going on with Merciful Thing with that voice until much later. That album cover was iconic uh, with their label and their logo and all that. I didn't have room in my 10 for Merciful Fate. Go ahead. No, yes. I didn't either, but uh, that's an album that. Uh, Surprised that they didn't make higher because it's a very influential album. It's, uh, I guess, I mean, here in Sweden, that's a huge album. Yeah, for for us on the East Coast, I had no clue who Merciful Fate was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, anyone else before we wrap this up? You know, Merciful Fate got a lot more respect. As time went on, I think, kind of like the Ramones did. Unfortunately, Joey and everybody isn't with us anymore. And I think he's still able to tour now with Merciful Fate because they got recognition from back in the day. And I think they got bigger as they got older. Uh, how about that? I mean, that's that's a fair point. Um, because... And I say that they weren't big on the East Coast. And now that I'm thinking about it, um, I actually spoke to Charlie Benante about the album Melissa by them. Um, was it Melissa? Yeah, it was Melissa. And then he said, uh, "Can't uh, is it Can't Break the Oath? Or uh, what's the name of the album? Don't Break the Oath. Um, don't Break the Oath. Okay. Don't Break um, the Oath. He 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 said no. That's the that's the big one, not Melissa. And he talked about how that was influential for them. And and obviously Metallica did a, a whole melody uh, on Merciful Fate stuff as well. So um, obviously there were plenty of people that were into them at the time. Um, in any event, I want to thank. Everyone who joined us tonight, Johan, Jeremy, Mike, Ed, Metal Dan, uh, Ant- Antoni, um, 
Brad and Anthony. Also want to thank the people that were in the chat. Sean Richmond joined us. Jose in Connecticut joined us. Again, there's a mystery Facebook user who joined us who I still don't know who that was. And um, also want to thank, let's see, anyone who... Uh, other people that voted that aren't present. We had Chris Sinzak of Desk Week. We had Chris Vaglio of uh, the Song Swap Showdown as well. Both of them are also patrons who voted. Want to thank them for sending in their votes. And that's pretty much it. Uh, thank you guys. It was a blast as usual. And uh, we got to figure out what the next patron show will be. Uh, possibly will be a, a band-related episode. We'll have to vote on that. And, merciful uh, fate. Merciful fate. Uh, <laughs> I, let's let, let's see what let's see what people vote on. We we've got plenty of other big bands that we haven't talked about yet. But hey, I'll throw I'll throw that up there with uh, some more and see what people want to talk about. So on that note, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this. Again, thanks to you guys for participating uh, and being patrons. It means a lot to me. Um, and if I could only find the video to close the show, it would be great. Here we go. All right, guys. Thanks. We'll see you next time on Signals from Mars. to the show on all your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Go to SignalsFromMars.com for more information. This concludes our show. 